This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. We'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs 2, if you are uh, visiting this morning, we are walking through the book of Proverbs week by week, and we'll be doing so all the way uh, through the month of June. And so if you're visiting, we'd love for you to continue to come back as we walk through this book. We will be looking at Proverbs 2 in its entirety uh, this morning in just a moment. One of the great little joys of my life um, happens every Friday at about about 2 o'clock in the afternoon when the Oconee Enterprise comes in the mail. I love this so much. This is like, I love this. And I could get it online, but oh, it just smells so good. And like you never hold a paper in your hands anymore. And it's just like every time I hold this in my hand, and particularly when I read it, it just makes, it's like I didn't know anything existed like this anymore. Um, but I will tell you for 139 years, this has been the hometown paper of Oconee County right here. It says it right there on the top and I love it. It's super fun. There's so much good stuff in here and I read it. I read every, I read the legal notices. Like I just go for it. I read it. Uh, there's a couple of things I never miss every week. There's a little young scholars section, which I love. And about every two weeks, Molly Ann McLean, a seventh grader in our church, she's here, writes for that. And I never miss that. That's a great, that's a great little spot. And some of you know that uh, I love to do, I don't have any hobbies except one. I like to do yard work and I love to plant trees. I don't know why I just love trees. And uh, of course, uh, if you read the Oconee Enterprise, you know that, that every week, uh, Jane Beth has a nice gardening article. It's really super. And um, this week, phenomenal a whole article uh, on, on, on ferns. So good. If you're into ferns, I'm telling you, you should get this. Uh, it's great. And even as these words are coming to my mouth, I'm realizing I really have to add some excitement to my life. This is pitiful, but I love it. Uh, one of the things that's in here, I mean, with great detail and pictures and everything is the crime report for the week. And I read every bit of that. Um, and I, w- I feel like it's, it's fair for me to tell you. And so I want to just say this to maybe protect you from doing anything maybe you shouldn't. If you shoplift from the Walmart at Epps Bridge, I'm going to know about it. <laughs> Probably the next week, Friday at about 2.30. I will know that you, ro- so you know, go to East Athens. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't rob any. I'm just saying, like, I know what happens. Everybody that's pulled over, every fire alarm that goes off, it's all right here, folks. And it's, it's, uh, it's just a joy. Uh, one of the things that comes up probably about once a month or so, is there'll be an article uh, kind of over by the crime reports of uh, an elderly person that's been the victim of fraud. These always make me super mad. You just, you hate to see something like this happen. And it happens pretty often. The FBI tells us that uh, there's about 4 million senior adults every year that are victims of fraud to the cost of about $3 billion every year. And the reason is not because they have a lot of money. The reason is because these criminals know that they're easy targets. 
And they're easy targets because they're naive. They don't realize that there is any fraud out there. They're not aware of scams or schemes. And uh, so while other people might be on guard, they don't have their guard up. They're not thinking that they need to protect themselves. Uh, They're not thinking that they need to watch out. Uh, They tend to just listen to something and believe that one of their relatives is in jail and needs $1,000. And so it happens a lot and it always makes me really upset. They're just kind of easy targets. The more I study the book of Proverbs, the more I'm becoming convinced that that's exactly the way the devil feels about the vast majority of us. We're just easy targets. First Peter 5, verse 8 says this. It says that you should be sober-minded and vigilant because your adversary, your enemy, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Every word of that is incredible. Like there should be something in our mind that's sober-minded. We're aware of the threat. We're aware of the reality that there is a real demon and there is a real battle in the heavenly places. And it's a battle for your life and it's a battle for your soul and it's a battle for everything good that God is doing in your life. And he is seeking someone to devour And it is hard to understand the degree to which he hates you. He hates you. He despises you. And he wants to fill your life with shame. And he wants to fill your life with regret. And if he cannot take you to hell because you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then he wants to do everything he can to make your life a living hell. He wants you to hate yourself. He wants you to be filled with anxiety and paralyzing depression. He wants you to have no sense of hope for the future. He wants you to be overwhelmed by the reality of the past. He wants to take everything that has happened to you or everything that you have done and try to get it to define you. He wants you to be completely useless. He wants to take you down. And I'm becoming convinced that it's not too hard for him most of the time. He's just winning a lot of battles because we're easy targets. And we're easy targets because of exactly what it says at the end of Proverbs 1 in verse 32. Because most believers are simple and complacent. It says in Proverbs 132, we ended last week this way, for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Simple means that you're just naive or gullible or you believe everything or it may not be that. It may just be you're not even aware or thinking about the schemes of the devil. In other words, you're the opposite of sober-minded. You're just kind of living life like there's no enemy. Living life like nothing's trying to take you down. Living life like everybody's on your side when the reality is you have a fierce enemy who is very subtle and very good. He says the simple are naive and gullible. The complacent, because they are simple-minded, because they're not aware of the threat Because they're not thinking about what could happen to them. They're not thinking about the significance of their choices. They're just complacent. There's no like wartime mentality. There's no sense of having my defenses up and being looking, looking for the attacks of the enemy, which are coming every day. 
And it says the simple and the complacent are killed and destroyed. I can't believe this, this happened to me this week of all weeks. I received today from one of our, uh, or this week from one of our other pastors. He said, someone gave me something to give to you. And it was a little baggie. And in the baggie was a note. And the note said, Pastor Josh, I use these to remind me of the battle that is being waged for my soul. And it was two little plastic army men. So if you come to my office for counseling, you see army men. I'm not playing with army men, not at work. But someone gave them to me to put on my desk. Listen, to remind me that there's someone that's trying to take me down. And there's someone that wants to take you down and utterly destroy your life. And Proverbs 2 is written by a father who is speaking to a son trying to plead with him to leave his simplicity and complacency. Because he knows that there is an enemy that only wants to do this, steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal everything God has given you. He wants to steal your future. He wants to steal your mind. He wants to steal your heart. He wants to steal your purity. He wants to steal everything about you. And he wants to destroy you. And he wants to kill you. But there is a God who is offering you life and life abundantly. And even though there feels like there's a thousand choices out there, there's really only two. You either choose Jesus and the abundant life. But if you do not choose. Or if you choose something else. You're choosing the way of death. And that's what Proverbs 2 teaches us. Proverbs 2 teaches us. That every choice you make is a choice for life and death. And so here's a father that wants to protect his son. And that's why there's so many words in this text. About shielding us and guarding us and watching us and delivering us. And so he pleads with his son, he pleads with his son to make good choices and to choose the way of life. And as you read the chapter, you feel the passion, you feel the plea, you feel the longing of the father that wants his son to choose what is right. And so it is as we read this, listen to what we hear. We hear the love and passion and pleading of a good father in heaven that longs for you to be delivered from the attacks of the enemy and to know the fullness of life that only Jesus can give. And it is all dependent upon the choices you make. Let me read it for us, all of Proverbs chapter 2. If you're there at Proverbs 2, say Proverbs 2. It says this, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you Seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you, verse 9, will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, 
who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Verse 16, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsake the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Listen to this. Now, this woman, all the way through Proverbs, is a reminder of the need for sexual purity, but it is also, she is always a picture of not choosing the Lord, of choosing the way of foolishness. And here it says this, her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed, those who go to hell. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life, verse 20, so you will walk in the way of the good. And you will keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. A couple of things I want you to notice. First, as you read, you might have noticed that everything in this chapter is an if-then conversation. It is an if-then conversation. If you will do this, then this will happen. And so there are three if-then, I mean, if-you statements. Do you see it? Verse 1, my son, if you receive. Verse 3, if you call out. And verse 4, if you seek. And then after those three if-you statements, here are four then-then-you statements. Meaning, if you will do these things, then these things will happen. Then you, verse 5, will understand the fear of the Lord. Then you, verse 9, will understand righteousness. 16, so you will be delivered. And verse 20, so you will walk in the way of the good. But one of the things you couldn't have noticed is that this chapter in the Hebrew is one sentence in Hebrew. There are no periods. It's one continuous sentence, but it's made up of 22 different phrases. The exact number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And when you talk about poetic language or wisdom language, those things are never an accident. Those things are always intentional. And so here's what the father is doing. The father is not just giving some random statements that he's just thinking about to his son. He is giving him a thoughtful statement. And what he wants him to understand by the way in which he presents this is in the same way this chapter is very orderly. So it is there is an order to the way in which life works. There are ways in which God has created life to work. And one of those is just simple cause and effect. This is the way life works. Every action has a reaction. Every decision you make has some consequence, whether good or bad. Listen to me. Every choice you make, every decision has some consequence, good or bad. Every action has a reaction. It's just how life works. And we know this, whether we are thinking about it or not, this is the way we function, and we function this way from our earliest memories. It tends to start with vegetables. If you eat your vegetables, then you get dessert. If you do not eat your vegetables, then you are not getting up from this table, young man. Like, we, we hear that when we're young, and so there's all throughout our life these if-then, and so most of our growing up is this awareness, and we're not thinking, oh, mom and dad are using cause and effect. We're not thinking that. We're just thinking that if we choose to do this, we're going to get in trouble. But if we choose to do this, we won't get in trouble. If we do good, our clip stays up. If we do bad, our clip goes down. Anybody remember kindergarten? If you do good, you stay on green. If you do bad, you get on red, and then dad gets red at home, and things don't go well. 
This is just how life works. If I study hard, maybe I can get into that college. If I give my best effort, maybe I'll get a promotion. There's just all of life functions with these if-then statements. And so one of the things that the father wants the son to know is there is an order in the way things happen. And you can't get away from this. This is the way life works. And that's why Proverbs 2 wants us to understand the way in which life works, whether you know it or not, and whether you believe it or not, is this, is that every choice you make is a choice of life or death. That's just the way life works. Read Romans 5 and 6. Even as a believer, every choice you make is either leading you to receive more of the life of Jesus or leading you back into the slavery from which Jesus died to get you out of. Do you realize that? Every choice is a choice for life or a choice of death. I'm not being dramatic. This is the way life works. Every choice matters. And using this if-then argument, pleading with his son as God the Father is pleading for every one of you to choose the life of Jesus and receive the rewards that only Jesus can give. And that is a first-time decision that everyone has to make but it is also an everyday decision. Even after you come to know the Lord, every single moment of your day is say, I'm choosing Jesus because Jesus has something better. So let's look at the if thens. The if, first of all, the if, write this down, is the invitation to choose Jesus. That's this is one verses one through four. The if, the if you is an invitation to choose Jesus. And it says here that there's kind of seven choices you need to make to receive my words, to treasure my commandments, to make your ear attentive to wisdom, to incline your heart, to call out for insight, to raise your voice, to seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure. But that's a lot of choices. And so let me summarize them in two, all right? I want you to get this down. All of those are really telling us to choose two things, to choose a right posture and to choose a right pursuit. Posture and pursuit is how we can clarify the choice to choose Jesus. As I read this over and over, I couldn't help to think about the posture that is here. And so this is coming from a parent, and you know this, if you've ever been a parent or a child, which should cover most of you, uh, then you understand that your posture communicates as you're talking to someone. And so I imagine the father having the conversation with this son, and he could tell by the son's posture whether he was listening or not. So the son could do this. Or he could do this, eye roll. He could do this, ah. Usually you grow out of that if like six and seven, but sometimes you don't. Like you could do that. You could just do this. Like your posture communicates. And everything about this is posture. Look, look at the posture that is in here. First of all, receiving my words. The word receiving means a recognition of your need and accepting that which is being said to you. So instead of covering the ears or putting the head down or doing this or eye rolling or one of my worst when I'm watching your posture is like totally laid back in the seat with the head back. I see those things. That posture communicates, all right? It says, pastor, time to wrap it up. It's fine. I'm, it's not gonna work, but I see it. But the, 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 this idea of ear attentive and, and listening in this way is basically looking like this, like, I, this is great. I need this. Like, I need this. And as our parents, as parents, we know that our kids do this all the time. Dad, give me more wisdom. Dad, this is awesome. Would you spend another hour with me just talking about the things of the Lord? I don't want to go to bed. I want to hear more from you. 
You say so much on Sunday morning, Dad, would you just give me more of that wisdom and understanding? I say, yes, let's do it. Nobody does this. But that's the posture. The posture is saying, I need this really badly. Like, I know that I don't know about life, and I know that I'm foolishness, and there's so much foolishness in my heart, and so I'm ready to receive these things. And I'm not only going to receive it, I'm going to treasure it. I'm going to take this, and I'm going to hold on to it. Like, I'm going to say, this is really what I want. This is so valuable. I'd rather have this than anything else. This is the posture. Because it goes on, making your ear attentive and inclining your heart. So what it means is you're kind of doing this. Like, I want to hear what you have to say. Like, what you have to say matters to me, so I want to hear this. And the issue of the heart there is, is having as your posture an open heart. Like, I'm open to your instruction. I'm open to your wisdom. Because I don't know. And you know better than I do. And I need your protection. I know God has put you in a place to give me that protection. So I'm opening my heart to you and I'm inviting that in. And listen, it says calling out for insight and raising your voice. And so you're actually requesting. I need more of this. I need more of this instruction. And then seeking it like silver and searching like it for hidden treasure. And so there's this disposition. There's this posture of humility that says I need this. It is a posture of listening. It is a posture of receiving. It is a posture for initiating and say, I want more of the word of God. This is really the practical application to last week's sermon from Proverbs 1, that everything in your life is determined by the voices you listen to. Everything in your life is determined by the voices you listen to. And this is a recognition that what I need is the voice of God speaking into my life. And my posture is going to be one of ready to receive. My posture is going to be one where I need what God has to say. So let me ask you this question. What is your posture towards Jesus? What's your posture towards Jesus? Is it this? I don't care what you say. I'm not going to do it. Is it this? Like even when you're hearing the word of God right now, is it? Is it honestly hands over your ears? I'm not going to hear this. I'm not going to listen. This. I'm not going to listen. This. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not going to let this go in. Your posture towards Jesus is going to determine the direction of your life. If it's a posture of humility that says, Lord, I need you and I need your word and I need your instruction. I'm hungry for it. I want it. I know that I don't know the right way to go. I know that I'm an easy target. And so, God, I want you to change that about me. That kind of posture attracts the presence of God. But it's not just your posture, it's your pursuits. Look at that. It's also your pursuits. So there's nothing about this that's passive. There's nothing passive here. You got to receive and treasure and be attentive and incline your ear. You got to call out and raise your voice and seek and search for it. You're choosing that which you're going to pursue. You're choosing that which you want and that which you're going to go after. This is an aggressive pursuit of something. And one of my ambitions this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit is to kill the complacency in you because I want you to know that that complacency is killing you. Complacency about Jesus is killing you. And so you just think that my complacency is just kind of a nothing. It's not a nothing. It's a something. Complacency is choosing to not follow Jesus. And it says, look at 132, the complacency of fools destroys them. Your complacency will destroy you. I love to talk to men. It's one of my favorite things in life. I pray consistently that God would give me more opportunities to speak in the lives of men. And there are a couple of things I say over and over to men. And one is this, 
that the greatest weapon of the enemy in the life of a man is just getting him to be passive. Not even getting him to do a bunch of bad stuff, just getting him to be passive. And so it is with every one of us. Our complacency is killing us. Your complacency with, the G- with Jesus Christ and your complacency is the, uh, with the word will destroy your life. So this is a call to take Jesus seriously, to go after him like he's a treasure, to go after him like there's nothing in your life that matters more than him. And it will cost you something. It'll cost you something. Like it costs something to wake up early and to pursue the Lord. It will cost you friendships. It will cost you something. But it's hard to call it a sacrifice because it's not a sacrifice if what you get in return is better than what you gave up. So if after the service, I made a deal with you and I gave you $5 and you gave me back $100, it would be wrong for me to walk around and say, I really sacrificed for a church member today. I gave them $5. That would be wrong for me to say that because that wasn't a sacrifice because I made $95. So it is for you to make a sacrifice for the cause of Christ is hard to call it a sacrifice because yes, you're giving up some friends. Yes, you're giving up some time or some comfort, but what you get so far exceeds anything you gave up that it is not a sacrifice. The reward is always greater than the cost. That's why Jesus says, you're going to have to lose your life to follow me. You're going to have to fully surrender to my lordship and do what I say. But in so doing, you gain life. Because there really is no life outside of life with Jesus Christ. If you, it's an invitation to come and to choose Jesus. But then look at the reward. There's the then There's four of these, and it says the reward of choosing Jesus. So if the if there is the invitation to choose Jesus, the then is the reward of of choosing Jesus. This is the reward of making those decisions. Now, I think it's important to note that there are four verses of ifs, four verses of choosing Jesus. Seven things, but four verses just saying, get your posture right before God. Pursue Jesus more than anything else. And then 18 verses of reward. That's significant. Because the reward you get from choosing Jesus is always better than any cost. It's just reminding us, yes, there is a cost, but what you get is so much better. But it's also reminding us that everything in our life is about the choices we make. If we want to receive the good that God has for us, it's dependent upon the choices. It begins with that first choice of choosing Jesus, and then it continues with that choice every single day to say, I'm going to continue to choose to trust and follow Jesus. And it says, here's what happens if you do that. What happens if you... This morning, some of you need to do this. Maybe some of you that went for the weekend and you didn't make a decision for Christ, but you need to. Some of you lost church members. If you say, I'm going I'm to choose Jesus. I'm going to right now choose Jesus. And then I'm going to continue to choose Jesus as you do. What happens is God begins to change you in ways that you cannot explain. It says, first of all, God's going to change your mind. He's going to change what's going on in your mind. That's verses five through eight. It says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God. The idea of the fear of the Lord there is that you begin to see God and you see the world in a way that is right. And so a fool does not understand God and a fool does not understand the world. And so what happens is a fool is naive. A fool is complacent. They're simple-minded and they just walk into a bunch of traps and they just consistently destroy their lives and they just make foolish decisions with any thought But what happens is if you choose to pursue the Lord and get humble before him, then he begins to 
Change the way you see him and the way you see the world and you start to see things you never saw before. And it says that what happens is the fear of the Lord comes upon you. The knowledge of God comes upon you. That idea of knowledge is intimate knowledge. Write down Psalm 25, 14. The secrets of the Lord are for those who seek him. The secrets of the Lord. And so it says you'll know him personally. And I love verses six through eight. I want you to get this picture in your mind. I say this to you all the time. You have to, you have to take enough time with scripture to picture it. But it says, the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. And so it's like this, this idea that, that God has this massive warehouse of everything you need. All of the answers, all of the wisdom, all of the protection that you need. And he is ready to pour it out on those who get in the right posture and who pursue it. Like he's just got it. And he's got it not to hoard it. He's got it to give it. It's yours. And what will happen, listen, as you begin to make those little choices to pursue the Lord, God begins to change your mind. He begins to transform the way in which you're thinking. He begins to take things out of your mind that don't want to be there and fill your mind with that which is good. He begins to help you to see God in his glory and love God and want God and desire God. Why? Because he's changing your mind. And the mistake some of us make is this. When God changes my mind, I will start pursuing God. There's no faith in that. Faith says this. I'm going to pursue God with the belief that he'll change my mind in the process. That's life with Jesus. He not only changes our mind. Look at what it says. He changes our heart. He changes our heart. Verses 9 through 19, but the verse that has helped me more than anything this week is verse 10. Verse 9 says, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. Listen, I'm so burdened because we have so many students here this morning, but but can you please just get verse 10? So you're pursuing the Lord, you're making hard decisions, you're doing what is right, you're making good choices, and what happens is then the, the wisdom and knowledge of God is filling your mind, and then what happens is it comes into your heart. It comes into your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. So then all of a sudden your desires start to change and your affections start to change and the things you love and the things you want, the thing you desire starts to change. And then all of a sudden, the most amazing thing happens. Listen to this. You start to pursue Jesus and all of a sudden you realize one day you love him and you like him and you want him and he brings joy to your heart and now all of a sudden sin disgusts you and 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 Jesus delights you and you realize that when I make a decision to walk with the Lord it crushes my spirit but when I choose Jesus it brings so much joy in life how does that happen because in your pursuit of God he starts changing your heart And so you don't wait for the heart to change, you pursue. You pursue out of faith, believing that in the process, God will begin to change your heart. And then all of a sudden, you start getting protected from all the schemes of the enemy. Do you see that? Discretion that God gives you is going to watch over you and understanding will guard you. And you'll be delivered from the way of evil. You'll be delivered from all those people who are trying to lead you in the wrong paths. You won't even want to be with them anymore. You'll have a disgust for that sin that you used to walk in. That sin you used to love will now no longer have the same thrill for you. Look what it says in verse 16. And I want to remind you, this this woman who we will see all the way throughout chapters 1 through 9 is both a symbol of moral and sexual purity as well as a picture of choosing the way of, of foolishness. There is so much to be said here about pornography 
and about promiscuity, and about making bad decisions in this area. It says this, if you choose the Lord, like if you walk with him, what happens is he'll begin to deliver you from the forbidden woman. Be forgiven, he'll begin to deliver you from immorality and sin, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. So before you were seeking Jesus, you were just gullible. And so you were following this direction. You were walking in this sin, not knowing, look, verse 18, please get this, that her house sinks down to death and her path to the departed. The word departed means hell. What you don't realize, naively, you think these things don't matter. They are killing your soul. I heard someone say a couple of weeks ago that pornography is demonic discipleship. It's submitting myself to the devil and saying, I I want you to conform me into your image. That's all sexual impurity. It's demonic discipleship. It's destroying your soul. And so what it's saying in the process of coming close to Jesus and making little choices every day to choose Jesus, God begins to deliver you from these things. When he gets your posture right and your pursuits right, he begins to change you. And the last one is this, he begins to change your life. Like, I don't mean that. I almost hesitated to say that because it seems so trite, but he changes your life. You see, sin leads you to death, verse 18, and sin leads you to hell. And even if you say, well, my sins are forgiven, and that's true, But the enemy still wants to make your life here a a hell on earth. And the one who goes there, they don't regain the passive life. But look at what Jesus is offering. Look at verse 20. We're almost done. Look at verse 20. So you will walk in the way of good. Say the word good with me. Good. You'll walk in the way of good. So Jesus is offering you the way of good to keep you on the passive uprightness. For the upright will inhabit the land and remain in it. It's a picture of the promised lands. What God is saying is this. He's saying, if you will choose Jesus, if you'll choose me day after day, what happens is this. I give you all of my blessing. I lead you into my goodness. I lead you into the fullness of life. But if you do not, you will not receive the land. You will not receive the fullness of my blessing. And so what he's saying is this, that God has given us these choices to make. And every choice we make is leading us toward greater life or greater death. Over here, there is a choice in which God is saying, choose Jesus and he will allow you to know his life and his blessing. He will change you from the inside out and revolutionize everything in your life. But if you don't choose Jesus, if you're passive or if you knowingly reject Jesus, then you're simply storing up more of all of the pain that the enemy wants to put in your life. More shame, more self-hatred, more depression, more defeat, more hopelessness. All of that stuff is what you're choosing by not choosing Jesus. I say a couple of things will be closed. God's been stirring up this picture in my mind. If you're with me, say amen. Listen to this. God has been giving me this picture in my mind from James 4, 6, where it says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. That verse talks about God's posture and my posture. God has two postures in that voice. One is a posture of helping. That's the grace. Another is a posture of resisting. God has two postures. Listen, his posture towards me And you determines our posture towards him. So as I humble myself before God and I'm attentive to his word and I say, God, I want you. And I start making the right decisions. What happens is in the process, God begins to help. 
God begins to give grace. God begins to change us. But if I refuse to make those decisions, if I refuse to spend the time in the word and do the things that are right, then God is resisting me. I had this incredible mental picture this last week of this, and I want this to be true of my life, is that God does not reach up his hand to bless you. He only puts his hand down to bless you. So if you are not in that posture of humility and neediness and desire and obedience for God, his hand of grace and help will not be upon you and you don't have a chance. What's most amazing to me about this chapter is there's not one command. There's no command. Because the father knows that he cannot command his son to choose Jesus. He just has to show him the if-thens. If you will choose Jesus, if you'll give Jesus your life, then here's what he's going to do for you. He's going to give you a better life. So come to Jesus. Make a decision for Jesus. Give yourself to Jesus every day. Make the hard calls. Make the difficult decisions. Sacrifice the relationship. Do whatever you have to do to choose Jesus because he has so much to offer you. And in the same way you have the heart of a father who passionately loves his child, begging that child to choose what is right, so it is this morning. You have the heart of a good God who loves you more than you can imagine, who has so much more for you than you can imagine. And of the heart of a good God, he simply says this, would you choose my son, Jesus Christ? He has life and life abundantly. A good father begging you to make a decision of faith. I believe that that life is better, therefore I choose Jesus. That's what a good father is asking you to do this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.